so need it. Thanks, and thanks for leading us in service, Dale. It's really great. If you've got your Bibles, grab them. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. Just Google uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and um, verse 17. I want to ask you a really important question tonight. Where do you go? Where do you go to rest? Where do you go to rest? Now, sometimes we think like rest is a swear word, you know, you know, those, you know, you people that just, you know, you can't sleep in because sleeping in is lazy. And so you got to get up and do stuff. You can't just, you know, sit around. You got to do stuff. Rest is important. In fact, you know how many days it took God to create everything that you can see? Six Six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. So like that's one seventh of the week he rested. And in fact, he's still resting in a sense from his work of creation. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he breathed out his last breath and said, it is finished. He rested from all of his work. The Ten Commandments, anyone know what they are? The, there's only ten of them. They're pretty easy. <laughs> Number four is rest. All right? Keep a Sabbath. How are you guys doing at that? Keep a day's rest. Where do you go to rest? I find it difficult to rest. I actually do because I get distracted really, really easily. Do you? Oh, yeah. I find it difficult to rest. I love people. I love being with people. In fact, if I'm in a room with new, watch out, because I'm going to come over and meet you. I'm going to find out all about you. I'm interested in everyone's story. I love meeting new people for the first time. I love catching up with old people. You know what I mean? Not age, but, you know, old friends. But when I rest... I actually have to find somewhere where there's no people, then I rest. So my rest is a beach with no footprints on it. That's my place of rest. Guess who's there? Me and God. And we can just have a good old chat and the birds can fly around and look at, look at me like I'm a crazy fella talking to the wind. But that is my rest. Sometimes bushwalking might be your rest. Maybe fishing's your rest. Where's your place that you go to to rest? Think about it. It might be the beach. It might be the beach. It might be a crowd of people. I doubt it. But it might be. Where do you go to rest? Rest is very important. I want to talk to you tonight about the holiness of Jesus. Now, you might think that those two topics have nothing to do with each other. So hopefully we can tie it all together at the end. I'll get Josh to put up the first slide. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, from verse 11 through to verse 21 is really good stuff. I like chapter, I like chapter 5 verse 17. It says, 
anyone in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's a clean slate. But check out how Paul finishes this passage of Scripture. He speaks about Jesus and he says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's maybe some big words. I've got another version of it here. This is the amplified version. Here it is again. He made Christ, who knew no sin, to judicially be sin on our behalf, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. That to me sounds like rest. It sounds like rest for me. In terms of my salvation and standing with God, I really don't have to work anything out because he made Christ become sin legally for me. And Christ, it says, knew no sin. So I ask you the question tonight, did Jesus sin? What's your answer? No, the Bible's very clear. He never sinned. He, he never sinned. Everything Jesus did, he did following God perfectly. God's laws perfectly. In fact, Jesus challenged some Pharisees one day, and this is after the stone that they brought in this woman that was caught in a sin. All right? I don't know how she was caught in the sin, but she was caught in the sin, and, and they threw her before Jesus, and she fell at Jesus' feet, and they said, Jesus, what do we do with her? And the law said stone her. And Jesus' response was, you can find this in John 8, Jesus' response was, you who are without sin, throw the first stone. Right? That was his response to them. Now, you might know the story. It goes like this. One by one, the men left. The oldest first and then the youngest. So it was like the oldest was like, oh, yeah, I know. I've lived a long life. I've done some sin. I know I'm not perfect. And it turns out that this woman was left on the ground and only Jesus was present. Do you know why Jesus was the only one present? Because he was without sin. He was without sin. And here's Jesus in this predicament as God and man in one person with this woman guilty. Is Jesus going to pick up a stone or multiple stones and punish this woman for what she did? I mean, she's not innocent. She was caught doing something that wasn't right. I mean, she couldn't point the finger at somebody else. She was found guilty. And here she is in the face of a holy Jesus. But Jesus said to those Pharisees, he said, I challenge you. Can you find anything in my life that's sinful? Like he challenged people. So 
I don't know about you, but I've never done that to people. I've, I'll never ask you, hey, look, you might just prove, prove that I'm a sinner, Rose. Because I, I, I don't think you'll find any sin in my life. That's silly, right? But Jesus, Jesus was perfectly sinless. He knew no sin. He knew no sin. And you might go, well, yeah, he was God. You know, God can't sin. Okay, fair enough. But Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus, though in the very nature was God, considered equality with God nothing to grasp. But he humbled himself and he took upon himself the form of a servant. And in human likeness, he humbled himself to obedience, to death, to death on a cross. He was obedient all the way through. He was sinless all the way through in a human, as a human. Jesus, fully human. But he, he knew no sin. He did not sin. He was absolutely pure, absolutely holy. In fact, the Bible says in John that whatever Jesus said, Jesus said, whatever I say to you, I say because I hear the Father say it. And whatever I do, I do because I see the Father doing it. He obeyed God all the way through. Don't you think it'd be really great if you could get to heaven by obeying God? Well, you can. You actually can. You can obey God perfectly and get to heaven. The sad thing is, none of us are able to do that, except for one person. One human being was able to perfectly obey God. And he knew no sin, but he became sin for you and for me, judicially, legally, on our behalf, so that we could be God's friends. When I think of the term holiness, I think of Jesus, because he is holy. In fact, right now in, in heaven, there's a scene right now in the throne room of heaven. You can read about it in, Roman, in Revelation chapter 5. You see the angels and the elders, they're all praising him at, on the throne, he who's on the throne, and to the Lamb, speaking of Jesus. Holy. He's holy. Holy, holy, holy. He is holy. He always was holy. He is holy, and he will always be holy. Jesus, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Holy. What do you do when you meet a holy God face to face? What happens? I can think of a couple of ex examples in the Bible, and you'll turn with me if you can to, oh, by the way, I'm talking about the holiness of Jesus, right? The first, the first person that had an encounter with the holiness of God that I could think of was Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a prophet, and he has this vision where he's in the throne room, uh, in, the, in the temple, sorry, in the temple, and he sees he sees all these things going on in the temple. You can read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. And there's seraphim there and they're singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come, right? He is holy and altogether holy, right? And you can read about this. Isaiah's response to the holiness of God is what? Woe to me. Woe to me. Not like, whoa, that's awesome, but woe as in, I'm about to die. I've just seen 
someone so immensely holy, someone so supremely holy, someone totally other than myself. It's like light and darkness cannot coexist. And the contrast that Isaiah finds himself in, he no longer is this hotshot prophet in wherever he lived. He is now a total sinner in the presence of a holy God saying, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips, he says, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. For I have, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Wow. Wow. Seeing God face to face in church, we talk about that. It'd be great. I mean, we sang about that before in, in uh, one of the songs. We see, we'll see Jesus face to face. But to see just a glimpse of his holiness will cause us to go, woe is me. The other person I could think of that we could relate to a lot more, I could anyway, is Peter. Now, Peter is one of the disciples of Jesus, the leader of the disciples, and he's a fisherman. And one day in Luke chapter 5, he, one night, sorry, in Luke chapter 5, he went out fishing and he caught nothing. Then the next day, this Jesus fellow comes along, borrows his boat, starts teaching the crowds. Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus taught about because Luke wants to teach us something different about Jesus. Jesus grabs Peter, uh, gets him alongside and says, Peter, put your boat out a bit further. And so Peter puts his boat out a bit further and Jesus says, throw your nets out, catch some fish. And what's Peter's response? been fishing all night that makes no sense to me at all i'm a failure fisherman i'm supposed to catch fish i'm supposed to be running this business and i couldn't even catch a thing last night you know then jesus does what we call a miracle i actually think the night before was a miracle too that that god would stop peter from receiving what he expected to receive you know sometimes in life we feel like that with God, like he doesn't give us what we expect to receive. And I believe that those opportunities, or those things are opportunities for us to really believe, to dig our heels in and say, God, you're good. I'm going to trust your goodness. You're a faithful God and you will come through in the end. But anyway, that's a sign. Peter, he says, okay, it makes no sense to me, but because you say, because you say, I will throw the nets out, right? And so Peter throws the nets out. All of the fish in the whole entire lake decide to jump into those nets. So much so that the boat starts to sink. And so Peter and, and Andrew, they call James and John over and their boat, they bring their nets over their boat. They put all the fish in the other boat. Both boats start sinking. It's a miracle. And Peter says these words, Josh, we've got the... Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. I don't know if I would do that. I mean, you know, because I wasn't there, I can, I can come at this objectively and, and say, if I was Peter, you know what I would say? Jesus, what are you doing tomorrow? Do you want to join my business? Because we need someone like you in this fishing business. Come on, join. Jump in the boat. We'll feed you. We'll pay your salary, whatever you want. In fact, just do it once a month. We don't care. Whatever you want to do, just join us, please. This is awesome. He doesn't do that. 
he falls on his face in front of Jesus and he says, go away from me. Why? Jesus gave him a whole lot of fish. What, caused, what forces this man to not want to be in the presence of someone who is so good? He's holy. He is totally other. What forces a city to turn on this good teacher who did miracle after miracle after miracle, who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey? They all praised him. What forces a city to turn on that individual who was so nice, so good, so lovely, so powerful, and then nail him to a cross as a criminal? Why? Why would, why would people do that? I'll tell you why, why I think. Because we don't know how to handle the holiness of God. We can't handle the holiness of God. We, we try our own ways of trying to hide things. I mean, in ourselves, we want to be in God's presence. We want to be his friends. But we're actually totally other to God. That throne room in um, Revelation 5 I was talking about before, it's a really great picture, and I want you to read it if you can, chapter 5 at home. But there's a problem. There's a problem in heaven. <laughs> Sounds funny, but there is. There's a problem in heaven. John, the disciple of Jesus, is watching what's going on, right? And he says there's a scroll. A scroll was held by the person, the, the one who's sitting on the throne is holding onto a scroll. And the question's asked, who can open the scroll? Who can open the scroll? Surely the one holding the scroll can open it? Apparently not. Because it says that there was no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who was worthy to open the scroll. No one in heaven was worthy to open the scroll. No one on earth was worthy to open the scroll. No one under the earth, whatever that means, was worthy. No one was found worthy until someone comes to John and says, look, there's someone worthy. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, David's lion. He's the mighty king. He's, he's triumphed. He's victorious. He's worthy. And John thinks, great, someone victorious who's worthy to open the scroll. John turns and he looks to see this lion of Judah, this mighty warrior king, and he sees a lamb. He sees a lamb. I want to take you back to the amplified version of 2 Corinthians it says, he made Christ, who knew no sin, to judicially be sin on our behalf, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. Where do you go to rest? Where do you go to rest? Where do you go when your heart condemns you and you are troubled? Where do you go where, when life doesn't work out the way that you hoped it did? Where do you go when your thoughts are condemning you? Where do you go when the devil knocks on your door and tries to make you feel like you should pay for all of your failures and sins? Where do you go? 
Some people go to church. Sorry, we're probably going to fail you. Some people go to work. They get busy. They try and forget about the stuff. Some people go to a pastor. Sorry, we're probably worse than the the church. (laughs) I mean, it's good to go to somebody, but when it comes to peace with God, rest for your soul, Jesus, Jesus. I like to think of Jesus as a cabin in the woods that I can go to whenever my heart condemns me. Whenever I find myself in a situation where I messed up, where I reacted when I shouldn't have reacted that way, or when I said those words to my kids that I shouldn't have said, or the the, the attitude that I had, you know, am I the only grumpy person in the room sometimes? You know, like, we, where do you go when, when that happens? Because sometimes we can blame ourselves, blame other people, or push the blame, but just go straight to Jesus, because he judicially, legally, became that sin that you committed. That that sin that you thought, that sin that you said, he legally became that on your behalf. And in him, in him, you can become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in a right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. Let's go back to Peter and Isaiah. Because it's good to talk about other people, isn't it, when it comes to sin and holiness and stuff. (laughs) Isaiah, what was his response? Anyone remember? When he sees the holiness of God, he says, Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. Why? Why why wouldn't he say, I'm a man of unclean heart? Or I'm a man of unclean mind? Why would he say I'm a man of unclean lips? I think because the thing that that God has placed in him that is a gift from God alone that God can use to glorify himself through Isaiah, often the devil will try and make you feel guilty and unworthy in that area. Now Isaiah comes to God and when he sees the holiness of God, He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then God steps in by his grace and cleanses Isaiah's lips. You can read about it in Isaiah 6. He does it with coal, which I think would burn. But it cleanses his lips. And who is Isaiah? He's a prophet. And this is chapter 6. Chapter 7, 8, and 9 speak about the birth of the Messiah down the lines. Isaiah had to come to that point where he said, I am not as holy as you. I am actually unworthy. But then God could say in his grace, now I can use your lips. Peter, what did Peter do? When he saw the holiness of God in the the person of Jesus? He He said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Was he wrong? I mean, I'm no judge, but, but the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I would assume that he was being correct, that he is a sinful man. And what does Jesus do? Does he step out of the boat and start walking on the water back to the, 
speech? No. Jesus stays there. He says, all right, now I can use you. You think you're a gifted fisherman? I'll show you how to catch people. He's able then to transform what was, I guess, highlighted on that person and use it for his glory. So what is it, I'm asking you tonight, what is it when you, when you are in those places in your life, maybe it's in worship at church or maybe it's in your quiet time when you're reading your Bible or when you're praying to God and maybe, maybe you're coming in confession of sin. I don't know. But when your heart is open towards him and you really sense that he is so much more holy than you are and you feel unworthy, what is it that you feel unworthy about? Then give that to him and watch him take it and use it for his glory. Watch him take it and use it for his glory. I know plenty of people that had struggles with alcohol and drugs. Guess what God did with those people when they handed over their lives to him? Use them to help other people that struggle with alcohol and drugs. It's like God just transforms what was intended for harm into something that glorifies him. That's what he does all the time. But it the way that you get to that place where you can glorify God is you need to find out where you go to rest. Where do you go to rest? Hopefully, hopefully you rest in the holiness of Jesus. I might finish there. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, in your grace that you sent him to this world, that you sent your one and only son into this world to save sinners. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you did. Thank you, Lord, for all that you said. Thank you for taking upon yourself our sin on the cross and dealing with it and finishing your work. Finishing our punishment on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for dying to our sin. Thank you for rising again to new life. And thank you for sending your Holy Spirit into our hearts as we believe in you so that we can live for you in this world and tell others how they also can be in your family. Help us, Lord, help us. Help us to be real. And help us to run to you whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever we struggle with sin. Help us to run to you, Lord. Please don't go away from us. <laughs> Please transform us from the inside out. We need you, Lord. Help us, Jesus. Amen. Amen.